This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. My guest is comic, actor, and writer Gerard Carmichael. Maybe you saw him hosting Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago. He was really funny. He has a new HBO comedy special called Rothaniel. What does that mean, right? Well, we soon find out. The special is all about secrets. It starts like this. I want to talk about uh, secrets. <laughs> secrets. Ooh. She'll whisper it, right? I carried a lot of secrets my whole life. I, I, like, I, I feel like I was birthed into them. One of my biggest, one of my last held secrets is my name. My name is not Gerard. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. I, uh... He delivers on that promise to reveal personal secrets about his real name, his family tree, and his sexual orientation. It's a lot. Toward the end, when he's interacting with the audience, his show starts to look like a hybrid of a comedy show and a therapy session. Carmichael has done two other HBO comedy specials, Love at the Store, directed by Spike Lee, and Eight, directed by Bo Burnham. Carmichael was also the creator and star of the sitcom The Carmichael Show that ran on NBC for three seasons. That show portrayed a fictional version of Carmichael's family. Many episodes were about them disagreeing with each other on complicated and uncomfortable issues like, is it still okay to enjoy Bill Cosby's comedy? Is it okay to have a gun in the house? How do you eulogize a father who mistreated you? Is it okay to take the morning after pill if the condom breaks? In Carmichael's HBO special, Home Videos, he returned home to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and filmed conversations with his real family members about sensitive family topics. His new special, Rothaniel, also directed by Bo Burnham, was taped this year at the Blue Note Jazz Club in New York City. Gerard Carmichael, welcome back to Fresh Air. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I love the new special. Congratulations. And you really were great on Saturday Night Live. So congratulations on that, too. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. What changed in your life that you were willing and able to tell secrets now on stage? <laughs> I think I got tired. Uh, I think I grew tired of um, being someone I wasn't. I felt like I was like just hiding. Uh, they call it being in the closet, I guess, for a reason, because it does feel like you just have walls up. You, you're just like... I felt like I was like walking around with a a mask with my face on it. <laughs> I think it's the best way to describe it. And it, it just, I, I started being more honest with my friends. I started being more honest in my life. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of all over the past couple of years, it all started happening. It all started coming out. <laughs> you know, I, I came out. Family secret, the things I talk about in the show uh, started coming out. I felt freer. I feel freer. I'm still in the process, but uh, the show just captures a moment just where I've just wanted to feel free. Before we get to coming out, let's start with your name, which you tried to keep secret. Gerard is your middle name. Your first name, as you reveal in the special, is the title of the special, which is Rothaniel. Um, tell us about the origin of the name. The name, the name comes from. My father, uh, he, uh, he named me after my two grandfathers, his father and my mother's father, um, Robert and Nathaniel, combined the, the two names at birth and never really <laughs> used it. Uh, but like we immediately 
started using Gerard. Uh, it's mostly all I remember since I was a kid. No one ever called me Rothaniel. Um, I was embarrassed, uh, <laughs> very ashamed. It, it was a secret. And, you know, as a child, I already felt different enough. <laughs> and right. like, I don't think that the name helped. <laughs> and so I like it, it was it, it was big. It, it took up too much space. And I, I, I didn't want it. I didn't want any parts of it. So what did you have to do to keep your name a secret? Well, I hid it as much as I could. Uh, on legal documents, they have to write your first name. So I always hid those and turned papers upside down and never showed anyone my driver's license. And as soon as I got my bank cards, I <laughs> like, well, I had to like quickly get them to take the name off because I would forget and they would have the name and I would go through some process there. Like only... Like a few friends knew, like a few close friends. And then every now and then it would slip through to the yearbook uh, and I would have to get it erased or or like like some years I would bribe a friend that like, please don't put Rothaniel, just put Gerard. And yeah, it was a fight. It was a constant fight, constantly hiding it. You had to keep a lot of secrets as a kid and one of them was about... Your family tree, your grandparents, your father, and all the extramarital affairs they had, and all the outside children that they had. It, it, it's a lot. My one of my grandfathers uh, had dozens outside of his marriage, and the other had a few himself, and including my father, who had um, a few children outside of. His marriage to my mother, uh, which I knew about, I found out about at a at an early age, and um, yeah, it, it's in my family history, you know, in a in a real way, and, and I think it's more common than uh, you know I, I, in the South. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of families where I'm from share that secret or, or have families like that, or at least. A, no families or in families like that some way. What about your friends? Like you were keeping the secret about your family tree, but did your friends, were your friends in the same situation? Oh, I, I have friends in, in like broken families. It's a lot of broken families, you know, um, children with uh, who don't know their fathers or, or, you know, a group of children with one set of parents and step siblings with like it just it, it's it's a lot of that none with my exact story but yeah definitely a lot with uh you know just outside kids just even that expression you know it's just kind of it's insane you know like outside outside kids um there are a lot of outside kids so how did i mean your mother didn't know about this or at least she acted like she didn't know, and your father didn't know that you knew. How did you know that he was having these other relationships and had these other children? It's a small town. I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, and I, I, I had like instances where a friend seen him with uh, you know his aunt and 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 told me about it and and you, you hear whispers and and I don't remember any exact moment where I found out more so just piecing together little clues uh 
things not adding up. It's funny, he actually taught me to be very uh, inquisitive and to question everything. So I, I, I guess I used uh, those powers against him. But I, things just just didn't add up. So these are powerful things to be carrying around as a child. You're hiding your name. Yeah. When you figure out your sexual orientation, you're hiding that. You're hiding the truth about your father's relationship. Um, you're hiding it from that you know from your father. You're hiding his relationship from your mother, you're living with them. I mean, you see them every day and you have this huge secret you're carrying around about their relationship. How did you bear all that? It's something you figure out later as an adult, you know, reflecting on your childhood or going to therapy or talking to friends that you didn't. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, I, I thought I did. I thought I bared it. Uh, I thought I bared it without consequence, I should say. And I, I, I didn't. I didn't go out uh, unscathed. It's definitely things that affect my behavior to this day, fears, um, you know, my hypochondriacal nature. All things kind of stem from mistrust but at the time, it's just, I don't know, I was just, I was scared. I, I, I think I lived in fear. It was a lot of uh, consequence or stakes to, <laughs> to everything. How could you even trust your father knowing how he deceived your mother? Did you wonder, like, what, what else don't I know about you? What else are you hiding? Yes, yes, it definitely causes me to have, like, fear of a duplicitous nature of all things, all, you know, everyone, um, uh, I question everything still. And, and uh, I'm sure that has like a huge effect on me. It should be said that my father is very um, fun. Uh, he's charismatic. He was good to be around. I was excited. Uh, he used to wrestle with us in the backyard. We would um, I was obsessed with wrestling as a kid. Uh, he still watches wrestling. Um, and, you know, he would pull up <laughs> in the driveway. And all of my friends loved him, you know, as well. He would pretend to be the rock <laughs> and just get out and talk trash. And and we would talk trash back and sometimes get out the camcorder and, like, film each other, you know, with water hoses tied around a clothesline, you know, to resemble the ropes and like, like mats laid out on the grass and just like slamming each other around. And my dad would be out there with us. He would play video games with us. He would tell stories and, and, and he was one of the few fathers in the neighborhood. Again, a lot of broken families and, and it was a role that he took on kind of silently just, you know, being a father to many of my friends who would just be at our house. Um, my mother would read the Bible to us. My father would make us laugh, which made it all the more devastating, I guess, <laughs> you know, um, that there was this like other side of a person that I didn't see, uh, something I didn't know about. Um, yeah, yeah, but but I love him. I love him. 
especially especially with your mother reading the Bible, you know, like your mother's reading the Bible to friends and you're keeping this really big secret about the family. That must have been strange. Well, you, uh, again, also like later in life, you start realizing really irony <laughs> and a lot of the Bible verses that my mother would read and how they would reflect situations that uh, she didn't know. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 1 through 3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Um, my mother would read that, probably still reads it daily. And I always, I guess I found it funny then. It's ironic now. What does that passage mean to you? Well, it's someone searching for answers, the unseen truth. Um, uh, and, and, but like, I, I, um, I would hear verses like that, that Jeremiah verse. Um, I, she would always do verses about protection and, and I always felt like I was guarding her. And, and one time I went home a few years back, once I moved to LA and I was visiting, I went to church with my parents and the pastor started doing like this somewhat prosperity teaching. It's very popular, obviously in most churches, we don't have to get into it. But anyway, he was talking about sowing a seed as they call giving money. <laughs> Um, and uh, he, he was saying that just whatever you give, you'll receive tenfold or I'm not sure whatever the, the amount is uh, by the end of the week. Um, and he's saying this on Sunday. And my, I watched my mother go into a purse and put money into the envelope. And I'm <laughs> like, you know, obviously me just like kind of mocking it in my head. I can't believe you're doing it. I think I mocked it out loud in church. I whispered, I can't believe you're doing this. Like you're sowing the seed. Like we should know better than that. And she gives the money. We go back home. Anyway, I'm staying home. I always stay home for like a, a, a few days whenever I go. And whenever I leave, I always give my parents cash. I like plant a certain amount of money uh, in like their sock drawer and hide it and let them find it after I, I go. Um, and, and like a decent amount of like, uh, of like pocket money, but, but, and not to be gross and say amounts, but I'm like putting $2,000 in my mom's sock drawer, uh, and having a flash to the $20 she put in church. And I'm like, Damn it, they got me. <laughs> like, it got me again. Like, look at me. I'm like a pawn in this relationship between God and my mother. <laughs> and like, I'm doing it again, you know. Um, but things like that, I, I just, I, I always kind of felt like the result of what she was asking God for. I was prayed over. I, I was prayed for, um, Deacons and pastors and women of the church would lay hands on my mother and pray. And she wanted a boy and she just had a miscarriage and had me. Um, sorry to get into all of that, but, but I'm, I'm just saying how important that relationship with God is and, and, and how much it was instilled in me as a child. Oh, gosh, that's complicated. You know, like you are, like your existence is God's gift to your mother. And that was instilled in you right from the start, and you you were so involved in your church, and yet, you know, there was, quote, sin in your home. 
You know, I put that in quotes. Um, no, no, no. That, that's a direct quote. Okay. <laughs> that's, okay. Not, that's, not a, that's not a false quote. I think that's how it would be described. That's so confusing to a child, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely shaped my perspective. Again, like, I, it's, it, I, I remember the fear. I remember the anxiety. I remember kind of going through life maybe with a clenched fist a little bit. I, I remember... Uh, and, and I know some of this is just me rationalizing as an adult, but just the need to perform, the need to change the energy of a room. If a secret could potentially come out or things could go in a direction that, that I thought had great consequence, you know, maybe something that revealed my father or me, <laughs> like, I, it, you know, it was too dangerous. So I, I, I you know, always probably try to control conversation. You, you say that you made your father tell your mother about his outside relationships with other women and his children by other women. Um, how did you make your father tell your mother? If you don't mind my asking, what did you say to your father? And how old were you when you said it? I was in my 20s. I, I, was, I was in London shooting a movie uh, and... You know, I, I, I almost hate to admit what the <laughs> like the straw that broke the camel's back was. Mostly because I'm 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 embarrassed that um um it's not for a more righteous reason, but uh my father had booked a hotel room and he and my brother have the same name and the email confirmation accidentally went to my brother and I found out about it. And at this point I was offering financial support to, uh, my family, uh, uh, and something about using my money to cheat on my mom felt a little egregious. <laughs> like it felt uh, like a little bit too much. Um, and, and a lot of feelings and a lot of emotion that I suppressed came rushing back. And it just felt like too much. It just felt like enough. And so I called him. I got very drunk and called him. Um, and I was uh, uh, walking around on the streets <laughs> in London. It like, God, I, I remember it being so late, like after midnight. And I started the conversation with this will all go okay, as long as you don't lie to me. And, and I'm glad I said that, taking lies off the table immediately, um, uh, because it went okay, he listened and, uh, and, and apologized. And uh, yeah, 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 it was a really strong conversation, really hard one to have, I was really scared. Was he shocked that you knew? He said at the end of that call, I always knew you'd be the one. <laughs> I think I say oh. that in the special, but yeah, you do. that's true. Yeah, yeah, he said, he said that. Um, um, and, and I think that a lot had changed between us. Um, like the power dynamic, it shifted. You know, I was the breadwinner. But I, I had less fear of uh, like the consequence of asking questions, I guess. Um, I argued more. <laughs> I think it made sense. I think it made sense to him. 
Okay, well, let's talk more about that um, in a moment, but we have to take another break here. If you're just joining us, my guest is Gerard Carmichael, comic, writer, actor. He created The Carmichael Show on NBC and starred in it. He's had several HBO comedy specials. His new one is called Rothaniel. We'll be right back after a short break. I'm Terry Gross, and this is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with comic, writer, and actor Gerard Carmichael. His new HBO comedy special is called Rothaniel. It's all about secrets, about his real name, his family tree, and his sexual orientation. He also created and starred in the NBC comedy series The Carmichael Show about a family loosely based on his own who constantly disagree on issues relating to politics, guns, abortion, everything. He's also had other HBO comedy specials, and again, his new one is called Rothaniel. So continuing with you telling your father that he had to tell your mother about his affairs, about his children outside of their marriage, and so you told him he needed to do that, and he did it. He told your mother. Did you worry that maybe your mother was better off not knowing, maybe the best thing for her life was to continue living without that knowledge, without that really painful knowledge. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I thought it would be over. That, that she'd leave you say him? say it and it's over. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what I thought the exact reaction would be, but something explosive, yeah, I thought it would be devastating. Well, you asked your mother about finding out about this in your special home videos. So I thought I'd play an excerpt of that in which you're asking your mother about, you know, learning about these secret relationships and staying with your father in spite of it. You ever think about leaving? I did at first. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm not. No, I'm good. No, no moments of resentment, no moments of anger? No, I chose not because I know resentment would build in. So that's why, like I said, it was a gradual thing that I'm not going to sit here and say the hurt and anger didn't try to build because I'm human. But maybe I suppressed some of it, but then I got enough talking and, and asked enough questions that, I don't know, like I said, I'm pretty much content. And it's on him to prove to me that I can trust him again. So it's not on me. Has he been proving it? For the most part. Do you question him now? Yeah. Really, I don't really have to question because he's so on it now. He opens up and tells me, well, as far as I know, everything. It's hard for me to let go and understand. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, just go like, oh, I, because I know, I mean, you're my mother. I know you very well, and I know that you actually don't stay up at night thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) No. You know. Uh, what brings you that? What, how do you have the ability to do that? One name, Jesus. Getting back to the church again. So do you think in retrospect that you did the right thing in getting out the truth? Well, yeah, always, always. That, that, was, that was a lot to, to hear, to play back. One, because I haven't uh, been talking to my mother a lot, so just... Um, hearing her voice <laughs> first thing in the morning <laughs> is, 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 is a lot <laughs> for me right now. You said you haven't been talking to your mother a lot. Is, is, is that because of the special and because of 
airing family secrets in public? It's around. No, it's it's around that. It's before that. You know, it's a little bit of a rift, and I don't know. I'm saying a little bit. Definitely uh, uh, a rift, a strain on the relationship, uh, mostly because of lack of acknowledgement. Things that I talk about in the special are still happening, or still not happening, I should say. Um, and that's hard for me, uh, realizing that uh, it, it was making it harder to to love myself. It, it's a hard thing to say, and that's why I'm pausing. I'm sorry for... No, it's all right. But loving myself requires me to... Not feel like uh, the core of my sexuality is just wrong, right? And if it's not validated, it, you know, or, or even acknowledged that I'm gay, it just triggers a little thing in my head that starts to feel that it's wrong. And um, and being away from my parents, being away from that uh, lack of acknowledgement helps me feel better about myself. It's hard to say just because I, I am also cutting myself off from uh, a lot of love and I've been trying to reconcile with that. But yeah, that's the sacrifice. You made a joke in an earlier comedy special about how a friend of yours came out and you didn't know why because he was doing very well and he should have waited until he needed the applause and the support. <laughs> so... Uh, so what were you thinking about when you when you came up with that for your comedy special for an earlier one? I don't know what I was thinking. Like I like I don't know if it's like me trying to separate myself from it by adding commentary to gay people the same way I've it would give commentary on women or comment kind of trying to be an equal opportunity, <laughs> you know, uh uh I don't know the word, but, you know, critic? to choose my topics. Okay. Yeah, yeah, critic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what the logic was, but definitely it was written as someone so far removed and, and out of touch with who he was. Like, like I, I, I was looking at myself from 30,000 feet in the air. I wasn't writing that joke with any any true connection to to my my life you know it's me trying to it, it's it's me trying to hide with commentary I, I, I think you know it's funny i actually remember uh saying a joke about uh gay people one time at an open mic and uh a comic, a, a comic who was gay, got got angry with me, and and he went up after, and, and I remember he did a set commenting on that, you know, and like just kind of trashing the joke that I said, and he, and he came up to me after. It was just at an open mic. I was, this was years ago, and he and he came up to me, uh, you know, and like, you know, in the lobby, and just said he didn't like it, and and and. I remember actually apologizing to him, I, maybe a little bit to myself, but <laughs> I, I, I just remember thinking I don't want to be that person. It, it was self-hate. It, 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 you know, I think that was like a little peek through of like, oh, wait, is that, is that what I'm doing? Like it, it was, so I don't remember the exact joke, but it was aggressive. I remember it being like some aggressive joke. 
brushing up again. And the guy had on a great leather jacket, too. It was a great <laughs> leather jacket. And he was attractive. Like, it was something I couldn't have said then. You know, and I'm not, like, I don't really remember his jokes, but I remember being like, oh, he's kind of hot. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, you know, yeah, I felt bad. Let me reintroduce you here. If you're just joining us, my guest is comic, writer, and actor Gerard Carmichael. His new HBO comedy special is called Rough Annual. We'll be right back. This is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with comic, writer, and actor Gerard Carmichael. His new HBO comedy special is called Rough Annual. It's all about secrets, about his real name, his family tree, and his sexual orientation. You know, you, you, you said that there was a peri- there's been periods in your life where you thought you'd rather die than come out. What were the consequences that you feared? Uh, you know, being disowned. Uh, everything gay, uh, <laughs> well, even like when we would use it as a term of like, oh, that's gay. Or it, one, it, it, it was just a dismissal of a person or a thing. It's just, it was a wall. It was like, oh, I don't want any parts of anything that's gay, you know? And and I just felt like I would just be banished from the lives of my friends. They'd be embarrassed to be seen around me. These are the thoughts that I'm having, you know? They'll be embarrassed. They'll be, I bet everything's high school and they'll just mock me. I, I, I've I've also been straight long enough to hear how straight people talk about gay people sometimes. What was the model of masculinity you grew up with? I mean, the word hyper comes to mind. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, A a lot of, I I think there were, um, in a world without fathers, I think there was an overcompensation. So people find fathers elsewhere. You'll find a father. You'll find, like, you, you, you need it for balance. And unfortunately, a lot of my friends didn't know their dad and, you know, found it from other guys who didn't know their dad. And, you know, there was always the potential of violence. The, the friends who've gotten killed over, like, Ego over protecting that masculinity. It's all, all such a, a grand performance. What did that do to your head, having friends who were killed? It scared me. I mean, it, it, it definitely, like, jarred me. I definitely have, like, a little PTSD from it. Um, things that can get, that can escalate quickly. Situations that, like, grow really fast and, you know, I remember being like at my party after my, uh, not my party, but at a party after my high school graduation and just shots ringing out and us all running out of the club, just scared, scared and be grabbing friends and like trying to hide behind cars and like, you know, just being in situations where you, where like the threat of violence and explosion can happen, like another, the other shoe can drop. Like, yeah, it is a little like, you know. I'm like a rescue dog, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Did that add to your fear of consequences if you came out, if people knew that they'd see you as being more vulnerable and there are guns around and the consequences could be, like, fatal? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It makes you watch what you say. <laughs> and yeah, there are just rules. There are so many rules. Um, it's, masculinity can, can be very, very rigid. Don't smile in pictures. <laughs> you know, like, like it, it's a lot of um, people just on, on guard. It's a really masculine culture. You, you know, you're, you're taught to get as much money as you can. You know, girls, protect your family, that type of rhetoric, uh, which, are, which are important, but it, it's definitely like a by any means Malcolm X kind of version of it <laughs> that I was raised on. Like, I, I guess that's why the word hyper comes to mind. It was definitely like, a, you know, man, capital M. Race was an issue, too, when you were coming out in the sense that, like, one of your boyfriends was white. And in one of your home videos, and home videos is another HBO special, an earlier one, you're talking, I think it's to your sister, to one of your sisters, and and you say, how would you react if I brought home a white girlfriend? And she says, you know, that she wants you to embrace black love. And you kind of question, like, well, you know, what what does that mean? But but anyways, so when you had a white boyfriend and you were keeping secret that it was a boyfriend and that the boyfriend was white, like, can you talk about that, that the double secret, the like racial and, and, and sexual secret? You, you know, you know, the, the racial part, less of a less of a secret and, and more of something that I, I need to explore in, in my own life about being I find men of all races very attractive but like like what root of self-hate or fear causes me to not date as many black men as white men you know like 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 and and that's something that I'm I, I'm I, I'm cautious to say it's a mandate I want to change because that just sounds so false and corny and not organic and whatever but I am exploring like what is that, right? And there was this movie called Beach Rats that I loved. Um, and I was in the closet at the time, so I couldn't express how much I loved it. I love that movie. And it's about, uh, I, I won't spoil too much of it. Uh, it's worth seeing, but uh, it's a closeted young man who hooks up with guys from the internet, but he hooks up with older guys. And one of the older guys asks him, why are you into older men and he says because you don't know anyone that I know and it's such a powerful line and I and I feel like you know that that I mean that fear is in me or was in me I'm trying to eradicate it but that fear of oh is this my friend is this like you know especially earlier on when I was like hooking up and it was more discreet and, and and like trying to keep a secret. I, I was afraid of being with a black guy because he may know my family or may know it, it's 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 illogical, but like it's just this this fear of association, this fear of yeah, it's just too close and it became all too real. It, it, uh, and yeah, that's that's just that's messed up. It's self hate playing out. Let me reintroduce you here. If you're just joining us, my guest is Gerard Carmichael. He has a new HBO comedy special, which is called Rothaniel, which, by the way, is his real first name, which he kept hidden most of his life until now. So we'll be right back after a short break. 
This is fresh air. How old were you when you realized you you were gay? I don't know. I don't know because I, I don't. I, I've had experiences with other boys when I was a kid, and 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 uh, I've had you know little secret things here and there throughout my life. But when I was younger, when the internet and internet porn would come around, I would watch gay porn, and then. Immediately after, I would watch straight porn almost as if to cleanse it, almost as if to 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 get rid of what I just done, to, co- to cover up the sin, to kind of hide it. Right. Like and, and it's a silly psychological game that I play with myself as <laughs> a game of one. Um, uh, no pun intended. Uh, but but but, <laughs> but 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 you you see what I mean? Like the example of that, like that that what what, is, what am I doing in that situation? I don't know. I'm I'm hiding. I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to make it right. You know, like like the little little psychological things like that. Um, to to make it go away. That that. I would try and do that to myself. And so when I was younger, I I believed myself to be on a straight path. Um, Eventually, I would have convinced myself to marry a woman in some world. I I would have, yeah, yeah, I definitely was uh, suppressing it, running from it, hiding from it. Um, So how long before I realized that what I was was gay. I, I, I don't know. It just kind of became undeniable. And I, I guess later in life, I, I was, you know, I'm someone, and I'll, I'll use air quotes, that probably leans a bit more masculine. So I could hide it. I could, I could have never come out. And, you know, some people suspect, if you know my affinity for Dries Van Noten, but... <laughs> like, you know, for most of the world, I was straight presenting. So I was able to hide, you know, um, um, even as a kid, you know, I didn't really play sports. But, you know, my jeans were just baggy enough to be trade, <laughs> you know, to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we talked about how deeply re- religious your mother is and in her view of Christianity, like homosexuality is a sin, like she is really having trouble accepting that. And that is part of the reason why you've had such trouble accepting it and being open about it over the years. But, you know, you say that you're still Christian, but that it's taken a lot and that you've had to reconfigure God and what God is in order to accept yourself and kind of rebuild from there. What was church like when you were growing up? Fun, actually. It it was it was fun. I, I I sang on the choir. I had a lot of fun. Even as a child, I would go to Bible study on Wednesday nights and and, and just you know getting arguments about faith. <laughs> and it was really fun. It was a it's a great social event. You know, uh, Sunday morning. You know, um, I had friends. There were a lot of kids at the church. Uh, I used to run the sound room. <laughs> for a little while, uh, very, very involved uh, in the church plays. And yeah, it was like my first performance space. Uh, uh, my mom was an usher and I've always been obsessed with microphones my whole life. And I, she used to like after church, she would um, 
hold me up to the mic when the church was clearing out, like when they were like shutting everything down. She would like hold me up to the mic so I could speak in it because I just love the the sound. Like it's just such a miracle. Um, <laughs> uh, and and church was just like the first place that like gave me a microphone and an audience. And <laughs> it's a great show. It's an excellent show. Did you ever do comedy in church? I mean, I probably did comedy everywhere. I mean, but but yeah, definitely, I was I was pretty funny there, uh, and 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 it was always fun to make adults laugh. Like I was one of those kids who who really liked making adults laugh because making other kids laugh was easy. You could do something big and you know slip on a banana peel, but like adults, you had to use intellect to make adults laugh. So I love making like. Uh, go and like laugh and, and and argue and have honest conversations about God and and and, and yeah, it was so fun. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't even know if I'm answering your question. I'm just like reflecting on like it was it was a really it was a it was a great space. I was I, I, I yeah yeah it was a lot of laughs. So that comedy was like your superpower. You know, you had to hide your your actual identity like a lot of superheroes have to do, but you had the superpower, which was comedy. Yeah, it's like a competition that makes you feel good, you know, like uh, when, when it's in a group setting like that, you know, like like comedy's just like, because black people are so funny. <laughs> like like that, that also has to be said that like the average black person is a top 10 comedian. <laughs> Like, like, just like, like a church Blackford, like, it's just so many laughs. Like the culture is funny. Like the culture is, I, I think that's why black people are so cool. Like we're able to like, like laugh at things and even laugh at ourselves in certain ways. Like it, it's like, you know, like everybody's kind of like telling, telling jokes and like, like it's a funny environment. Um, so, you know, to be, to be honest with you, to be a funny guy in those environments is an honor. <laughs> it's probably like the biggest honor of my life is like like to be funny amongst kings and queens. <laughs> like they are very funny. <laughs> so you know, I just want to end by saying that I hope you and your mother kind of get back together again because you seem like you're so close in so many ways, and and I hope that. She's able to eventually appreciate the openness that you have now and the acceptance of yourself and the reality of your truth um, and meet you there. Thank you for that. And, and I hope so, too. And I, I know it starts with myself, like, you know, um, and it's not me trying to take responsibility for anyone else's feelings, but I do know that the world can't love me, my mother included, or, or anyone else until I, I have a firm foundation and I know who I am and I'm willing to accept who I am. Um, and, you know, that's a process that I, I feel like I started late, but, you know, the more honest I am, the freer I am. And, 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 and I hope that time helps. Gerard Carmichael, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, it's just really been great to speak with you again and hear you be uh, so open. And I think it's been great for your comedy. I love the new special. And it sounds like it's been really good for your life as well. So congratulations on all of that. 
thank you very much. I really appreciate talking to you. I appreciate your words. It's been fun. Gerard Carmichael's new HBO special is called Rothaniel. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, our guest will be country music star Tim McGraw. He wins Grammys, sells out concerts, and he's an actor. He and his wife, country star Faith Hill, star in the Paramount Plus TV Western series 1883 as a married couple making their way in a covered wagon up the Oregon Trail. It's a prequel to the series Yellowstone. I hope you'll join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our senior producer today is Sam Brigger. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Simon, Teresa Madden, Henry Boldonado, Thea Chaloner, Seth Kelly, and Joel Wolfram. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. I'm Terry Gross. <laughs>